Good evening. Good evening, good evening. It's a blessing to be here. Uh, I want to thank God for my folks for allowing me this opportunity. I don't ever take it lightly, but I'm appreciative that, you know, that I'm found trustworthy to be able to teach and be before y'all. Um, I'll try not to be brief. I may be too long tonight. But there's some things that I know in the body of Christ. I'm glad my dad has trusted me to be able to speak on this week. Obviously, this week we were praying for the church in this 35-day of prayer that we have going on. And this is crucial because um, the church is the conscience of society. And all these problems we see in the world today, it can be traced back to something. <laughs> it can. And so, you know, the folks will say, there's a dead monkey on the line somewhere. <laughs> and so there's some things we need to talk about and like I said before, I can teach about it. It hit me first. So at the end of the day, just know it's, it's a two-edged sword. <laughs> and so, but it's some things that is needed. You don't really hear it talked about much in the church. But uh, it is necessary, especially when you start talking about edifying and operating what God called us to be. And when you look at the church, it represents, because many have forgotten what the church is. It represents Christ to the watching world. Some of you have seen this in the paper my mom had shared and given to y'all. When people see a group of people who love each other, serve their community, and love God, it, deeply, it is deeply attractive to them. On the other hand, if a church is full of conflict, disunity, selfishness, and infighting, it is very unappealing to those looking in from the outside. Many people today understand the church as a building. This is not biblical understanding a biblical understanding of the church. The word church, as many of you know, is, trans, is a translation of the Greek word ekklesia, which is defined as an assembly or called out ones. The root meaning of church is not that of a building or a denomination, but of people. Now, you have a lot of people that think that it's predicated to a certain denomination, but it's not. It's not built... It's not a building or denomination, but it's of people. And it's ironic when you ask people what a church or which church they attend, they immediately identify a building. <laughs> but in Romans 16 and 5, you have to turn here, but it said, greet the church that is in their house. It's Paul referring to the church in their house, not a building, not a church building, but a body of believers. And if you look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22, 23, it says, this is just reference, so you can write these down if you can't get it quick enough. Uh, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head, to be head over everything. For the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so ultimately what it's saying is church, the church is the body of Christ, which he's the head of. Not apostle this, not a elect bishop this, <laughs> supreme doctorate this, but Christ. And then when you look at another cross-reference scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15, it said Paul elsewhere called the church the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Ultimately, he's saying the church belongs to Jesus. The church serves as the foundation 
of God's truth to the world. And the truth is so important because truth is God's perspective on everything in life. It's not an opinion. It's not many think, well, that you hear nowadays your truth, speak your truth. And that's okay maybe for a secular world, but in the body of Christ, there's no such thing. <laughs> truth is God's perspective on everything in life. Many Christians believe they can grow spiritually apart from the church. And that's why with the shutdown, some people ain't coming back. They not. <laughs> they just needed it out. That's all they needed. I'm tired. I was already tired anyway. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> My goodness. The price is right. Because <laughs> I got to go. They ain't coming back. Uh-uh. I just needed it out. But they fail to realize that if you're not growing in and with God, you're growing against him. There's no, no stagnant. It's a reason why it's like that. Folks hanging on by a thread and soon as March hit. My goodness. <laughs> Cough here. Uh, my goodness. There. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Yeah. This passage uh, in 1 Timothy 3 and 15 and others speak against the idea of that idea. Interaction with the church, the human living group of fellow believers is essentially or is essential to the believer's spiritual health. Though imperfect, it is the family of believers working together who serve as God's bride in this world. This requires cooperation and what my dad just spoke of a while ago, unity. The church is intended to seek God's goal for our lives, both collectively and individually. Those who seek to grow spiritually without church involvement miss out on an important aspect of faith. And this is something we're going to talk about tonight. Being a part or being part of a church is part of God's design and is in fact it's, it's, it's foundational to spiritual maturity. And that's what we're going to talk about. Repeat after me. Spiritual, spiritual. maturity. One of the biggest ways to cause change in this world or in the world period is maturity. If maturity is intentionally practiced, a change will come. This is my main scripture. Could you turn to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. Some of you are familiar with this. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and I'm beginning at the verse 38. Matthew chapter 5, 38. And I'll be speaking of so many aspects of spiritual maturity, but this one will be in a general sense. And um, I hope it might bless you. But this is an area in the body of Christ that really needs to be uh, talked about. I don't care if you got the masses or if you got three members and four crookeds. <laughs> it matters. Watch this. Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> beginning at verse 38. I'm going to be reading a J.W. Phillips New Testament version. So it may read a little bit differently, but you'll follow it. Beginning at verse 38 and 39, it says, You have heard that, is use, that it used to be said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist a man who wants to harm you. If a man hits your right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. I'm going to stop there because in this is talk, Jesus is teaching about how to respond to insults. And persecution. Many have taken that scripture and bastardized it <laughs> and utilized it in ways that, out of context, 
because in the Old Testament, law established a legal principle of an eye for an eye, intended to prevent excessive revenge. Punishments were meant to be proportional to the crime. Now, in personal matters, however, Jesus set a different standard. In response to insults and unfair treatment, Christians are to endure, not retaliate. It sounds familiar, don't it? <laughs> the proper Christian responds to discrimination, mocking, or insults is to their response to all of those things is to simply let it go. And that, that verse said, don't resist the evil person. Instead, prove that such acts are not worth a response. The proper believer responds to discrimination once again, letting it go. Don't resist the evil person. Instead, prove that such acts are not worthy, worth a response. And see, this really aligns up the difference between uh, what's happening now and what happened almost 50 years ago with MLK movement. There's a huge difference. See, the church needs to be screaming to the chandeliers to understand the difference between the two. See, the Civil Rights Movement had a moral authority behind it because, number one, they was committed to nonviolence. Number two, they aimed at race neutrality, not black power. <laughs> and ultimately, which is key in a lot of aspects I've learned as I've gotten older, is they challenged America to live up to its own ideals. Now, most folks won't talk about this. They won't talk about this. Why does that matter? It's harder now to really challenge values when you don't have them <laughs> going on in your particular community, if you will. How can we talk about, about, about these killings, these laws, but we blowing each other up like it's 4th of July? Mm -hmm. See, back then in the 60s, the families were strong back then. They were. I mean, you know, obviously the circumstances come into play, but that's what it was a model. People went all out. I mean, even children out of wedlock was low. Back then, it was, what, around, I know around 30-some percent in the black community. Now, it's almost 75, 80. It's a big difference because you have a model. And so that, even, even in relationships, marriages, when values change, everything else is about to change because we don't have nothing shared. And so now that that is ideal, and see, God moved mightily in that, that movement, and, and that is the point in me talking about, about how we should respond in that, in that particular thir uh, verse 38 and 39, because some things are not worth a response. And MLK knew that. But see, the difference between this movement and the Black Lives Matter movement, see, Black Lives Matter ain't carrying this legacy. It's something totally different. Totally different. And this matters because we're here to be educated, biblically. <laughs> and that's why this is so important so we understand. And so because it, does not, it's, it doesn't carry the legacy of the MLK movement, civil rights movement, because it does not contain that biblical foundation. And see, I'm going to run through this real quick so that you can understand where I'm coming from. Part of spiritual maturity is making sure that one has a biblical worldview. That's important. Not a lukewarm one. <laughs> Not a sometimey one, not a carnal one, but a biblical worldview. This would be a quick breakdown. The Christian worldview is based on two foundational axioms. Number one, God exists. And number two, God has spoken to us in the Bible. If these two uh, presuppositions 
are, aren't the starting point in a Christian worldview, then watch this. We're just like everyone else trying to find objectivity in a sea of subjectivity. Now you got some folks where they subject to do anything. Believers shouldn't be like that. <laughs> and that's because man was created in God's image. Part of that image makes man a moral being. We are moral agents who make moral choices and are able to differentiate between right and wrong. The basis upon which we differentiate between right and wrong is our knowledge of God's law. And the knowledge comes from two sources. Number one, revelation. And number two, conscience. And that's what that whole term, woke, <laughs> derives from. Our conscience. We, we know preachers that didn't got in trouble. Then got away from the faith. Because my conscience, my consciousness could preach you under the pew. Did great things in the 90s. But now my conscience, because I've stopped revelation. Revelation is self-explanatory. God gave a commandment to Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave ten commandments to the Israelites after Exodus and Sinai. And Jesus boiled those ten commandments down to two essential commandments, which is number one, love God, and two, love your neighbor. All of this, all of these represents God's revelation of his law, which is simply a reflection of his moral character to his people. In Romans chapter 2, verses 15, you have to turn here, you can write it down. Romans chapter 2, verses 15, the Bible also says that God wrote his law on our hearts. This is conscience. In other words, even without God's revelation in the commandments, we intuitively know God's law. God's law based on the fact that we were created in his image. However, however, due to the fall in Genesis chapter 3, the image was marred and disfigured, including our conscience. So even though we know God's law through our conscience, we tend to distort it to our advantage. That's why we need revelation. That's why we need it. That's why we need it. <laughs> All these folk woke and stuff, you don't know where you're going. Uh -uh, no, revelation. And that's what the church and believers should do. See, repentance is the way of life for those who consistently download fresh revelation from heaven. You can't say I'm getting revelation and you ain't repent. Why? Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Always allow the spirit of God to change our mindsets, attitude. And heart. We tend to trust, we all tend to trust our conscience, whether it's implicitly or explicitly. The human conscience can be likened to an alarm system. It warns us when we transgress our moral standard. The catch is our conscience is only as good as the moral standard that informs it. If it's not the Bible, then we inevitably inform our conscience by various other means. If the Christian wants to know God's will, he turns to the Bible. The Christian wants to discern from right and wrong, he turns to the Bible. Not CNN, not Facebook. Oh, y'all not liking me in here. <laughs> All of this social media, you know, the girlfriend down the street. No, we turn to the word of God. Because without the moral compass of the word of God, through this life, we are like ships adrift at sea. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Watch this. I'm moving to verse 40, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. If a man wants to sue you for your coat, let him have it and your overcoat as well. 
If anybody forces you to go a mile with him, do more. Go two miles with him. Give to the man who asks anything from you and don't turn away from the man who wants to borrow. Verse 43 and 45 through 45. You have heard that it used to be said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your heavenly father. For he makes the sun rise upon evil men as well as good. He sends his rain upon honest and dishonest men alike. Verse 46. For if you love only those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even tax collectors do that. <laughs> and if you exchange greetings only with your own circle, are you doing anything exceptional? Even the pagans do that much. No, you are to be perfect like your heavenly father. I'm going somewhere with this. Perfect doesn't mean you're without flaw. It means that you're at a place where you control your own behavior. That's what they mean. That's what they mean. That is what maturity is about. <sighs> Don't react to the person the way they reacted to you. I know that I didn't say respond. I said reacted. There's a difference between the two, between responding and reacting. Maturity is being able to control your own response in spite of how the other person is acting. Now, if a dog bites you and you stoop down, I was telling my mom this other day, and you stoop down and bite it back, there's a clinic waiting for you with your name on it. It is. That makes absolutely no sense. But you have believers that's like that. I'm talking about folks in the body of Christ. I'm talking about the world. That's expected. So when something happened, my goodness, I'm about to hear you. Hey, come on, stupid. Chop, chop, chop. I'm finna get you. Charlie Brown gonna miss you. Watch this. Watch this. That is what God is saying. Don't start acting in ways that is not in line with scripture just because you dealt with natural things. Start to control your own behavior and your own emotion. Watch this. Love is a commitment to serve another human being even when they are not deserving of it. Love God, love your neighbor. I'm going to say that again. Love is a commitment to serve another human being even when they are not deserving of it. But it's impossible. It requires maturity. The aging is growing old, but maturity is growing up. See, age is about growing older, but maturity is about growing up. Now watch this. You can be old and age and still not be mature. I know folks is older. I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. But it's like that. And then on the contrary, you can, only, you can, you can be young only once in your lifetime, but you can be immature forever. It is maturity that makes relationships, whether it's marriage, friendship, etc., work. Not because the two people are going to be perfect, but because there's not, because there's not two people, people perfect anywhere. Not here on this earth. But you can have a perfect relationship with maturity. That's the difference. That's what perfects us. See, God perfects us through maturity. That means the two of you should not be mad and angry at the same time, because truly... Something about to happen. <laughs> if you got two immature people who reckless at the same time, you got trouble. And I've seen people that knocked each other's head off and he got up there and preached. Turn your Bibles to. Like, how y'all do that? 
<laughs> I didn't do that. Talking about that blood come from shaving. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. But we have people that have reckless behavior. You see it in the body of Christ. Now it's rampant. It's talking about just pray for them. Now, yeah, I'm going to pray for them. You need to sit down because that's not God. And I know, again, we're not perfect, but on the same token, to whom much is given, too much is required. You are in a certain position where you need to bleed maturity. Because <laughs> as an example, otherwise you get on the TV show. I mean, just sitting up there, fisticuffs and stopped on I-30, uh, on I-30, on the way back in town. I mean, just fisting it up and then want to sing praise and worship. <laughs> I mean, bleed. I'm just like, my goodness. Ooh. It's like that, and it's become rampant. It is maturity that makes that possible. It means I take responsibility for my own actions. I do not blame someone. You got some people, I cheated because of what someone else did. I didn't have money, so that's why I stole. I didn't tell the truth because A, B, C, D, F, G, and so on and so forth. Anytime you blame somebody else for your actions, that is a sign of immaturity. That's what it is. It's a sign of it. Anytime you blame a certain a person, place, or thing, it's immaturity. People don't want to hear that nowadays. Now they teach you stuff that help you stay where you are and feel good about yourself. And that is hurting the body of Christ. It is. You are solely responsible for your actions. The moment you are blaming somebody else means you are not ready to change. He or she have not repented and aren't ready to change. When you continue to blame, you watch this, relinquish the power to change. That power is gone. It's relinquished. And many fail to understand that because you have stated the person, place, or thing change you. Therefore, I can't change. They got more power with me than God. I like this. Watch this. You have to take responsibility for your own actions. Oh, you have to. Mm -hmm. You sure do. People don't want to hear that. <laughs> you see it rapid now. People on this train of just, my goodness, just let's get them. No, what about us? <laughs> oh, yes. What about us? <laughs> my goodness, this is good to me. Now, while government and white supremacists and slavery and other difficult issues are at fault for a whole lot, they're real, they surely are. They have, you can trace some things, and yes. But they're not at fault how we treat and love one another. Right. You know, it's not. I mean, we, can, we can scream and holler and C-sharp and all that we want to and have plenty of amens, but that's not going to change the truth. It's not. How couples, how members, how uh, other it, it doesn't change how we treat each other in the body of Christ. And that's what this is geared to for. This is what church is for. Right. Our foundation. Spiritual maturity. We can shout and dance and then act like we still don't know him. This is why we fall into deception. Irresponsibility, immaturity. I was thinking about that earlier last week when I was out of town. I was just like, what in the world have happened? <laughs> why such deception? I'm like, I'm tripping. No, I ain't tripping. No. See, what happens is, is that you got people now, they so rooted in what they want to believe, you can't pay them to accept the truth. And that's where delusion comes from. Because I take what I want. 
I take what I want. <laughs> I was telling my mom earlier today about how um, uh, the sunk fallacy or something like that pertaining to how people in relationship, uh, it's almost like businesses, they put so much money in an ad or a product, they keep pushing it even though it ain't selling because of how much time and energy they did it. And folks are like that in relationships now. He beating you upside your head, he don't love you, but because we've known each other for three, five years, you know, I'm going to stay in there. Same thing like people go to church. I didn't give a whole lot of money, you know, you know and everything. I'm going to stay there. Oh, y'all not liking me? <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. And it is a mess. And so there's a strong delusion here because it's, it's almost like, I mean, people choose it. You got truth every day. People know what the Bible says. But they are choosing what they want to believe. And that's why so much deception and strong delusion is at hand. Maturity is about taking responsibility. You find somebody irresponsible, you find a whole lot of inability. You know, my dad mentioned Sunday about how excuses are the crutch, the crutch of the uncommitted. You find people full of excuses, you'll find a person with so much that can't get done, <laughs> that won't get done, that needs to get done. Excuses. Excuses. Maturity is about taking responsibility. Maturity is a function of responsibility of wisdom and exposure. And really, yeah, exposure and wisdom. I have to look at myself. That's what we have to do. <laughs> Me. Oh, I know it's tough. That's how it is, though. Because... That's what the church is for. Spiritual maturity requires a radical reordering of one's priorities. Changing over from pleasing self to pleasing God and learning to obey God. The key to maturity is, watch this, consistency, perseverance, and doing those things we know will bring us closer to God. These practices are referred to as the spiritual disciplines and include things such as Bible reading, studying, prayer, fellowship, service, and stewardship. Now, you don't hear that often. Stewardship. No matter how hard we work on these things, however, none of it is, is possible without the Holy Spirit enabling us. None of it. We have to enable the Holy Spirit within us. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16, you don't have to turn it, you can write it down. It tells us that we are to walk by the Spirit. The Greek word used here for walk actually means to walk with a purpose in view. Later in the same chapter, Paul tells us again that we are to watch this walk by the spirit. Here the word translated walk has the idea of taking things step by step, one step at a time. It is learning to walk under the instruction of another. That is not I, but the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit means we walk under the Spirit's control. In Galatians chapter 5, you move on in verse 22 and 23, it says, as we, uh, to summarize, it says, we submit more and more to the Spirit's control. We will also see an increase in the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And that's something that's lacking. Now, me and my mom were talking about that earlier today. There's one save, always say, yeah. 
Folks can believe it, but if your fruit ain't bearing, something wrong. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> you got to inspect the fruit. You got to inspect the fruit. This is the characteristic of spiritual maturity. This matters because this is how we bring change. Not only within ourselves, but in the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ at law is not everybody. Because God, he has an Elijah. He got some Elijah somewhere. He got a remit somewhere. But I'm talking about the majority. That ain't going to sit here and just have tea and cakes with Jezebel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Slap Jezebel. Praise him. No, uh -uh, no, I'm not standing to you. There is another who's higher than you. <laughs> Watch this. Many of us in the body of Christ, that's key. Walking with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, being under the Holy Spirit control. Many of us have reduced him to liquid. Uh, a little sprinkle. You know, he, he sprinkles on us and we feel him and woo woo woo. And then that's it. <laughs> we have. See, the thing about it is, is that he's the third person, as my dad has taught, manifestation of the Godhead. He doesn't come in drips or sprinkles. When he comes in, he comes in. That's what he do. And he comes in as the third person of the Godhead. It's not so much we have how much Holy Ghost we have, if you will. But it's the question is, how much do we have me? <laughs> That's really the question. He has my heart, but he don't have your wallet. He has my heart, but he don't have much of my time, energy, commitment, dedication. Oh, y'all not liking me. So what am I saying? God has, we got to say, he has access to our house. He does. But for some, he don't have access to every room. I remember growing up and uh, my folks used to go to somebody's house and be like, okay, yeah, you sit here. But you don't want it. Now that I know it's in that dining room. Now go up in there. Plastic all on the furniture. Smell like mothballs. I mean, you got this big old house, but I got to sit here in these skittles. And listen, y'all talk all night. <laughs> you know? But that's how some of us are. And we stay in this cycle. And, and that is a reflection of immaturity that we need to get rid of at large. Because God wants to have all of us. And see, what happens is if we keep him at bay, then when things get rocky, we ain't got nothing to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what's happening now. You seeing stuff come. I mean, just rocking the church. And folks, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> what didn't happen? And it's like that. It's because we have not given him access. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord said these words, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, this is out of Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24, moving to verse 25. And then rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. One of the biggest ways to cause change in the world is maturity. If maturity is deliberate, intentionally practiced, a change will come. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Maturity. Amen. That's what perfection is. Maturity. All through the Bible, you see how God used Noah and Abraham and men that were 
and walked in perfection, had maturity. The Bible said that Noah found grace in the sight of God, and he was a mature man in his generation. And because he was mature, God gave him the plan to build an ark for the saving of his household. Isn't that wonderful? To Abraham to walk thou before me and be thou perfect. How can you be perfect? Ephesians tells us that the word of God and the fivefold ministries for the edification of the body, for the perfecting, the maturing of the saints. We just read in Matthew 5:48. He said, Be ye perfect for your Father in heaven is perfect. Maturity, how to handle things. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome word. Awesome. Maturity. There's so many scriptures. The scriptures say in the book of Mark to Mark the perfect man and follow after that man for after that man shall follow peace I can go on and on and on about perfection and that's what's needed in the body of Christ it starts with us the head to have the maturity that when people attack you and when people say false things and when people talk about even the church that you attend that you have the maturity not to react but to respond to it in such a manner that they see Christ in you and they, they know that you have a root in the Lord. Even on your job, when people act up, glory to God. You don't have to react. You can respond and show the love of Jesus Christ. Show the maturity of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what, how we want to walk. That's how we want to live. And that's what we want to do in these last and evil days. That's a good word. I can still hear it. Come on. When it resonates in your spirit, it's a good word. As the scripture says, to receive the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your soul. Hallelujah. God bless you. Come on, lift your hands tonight as I bless you. Father God, I thank you now for your people, Lord. I praise you for their faithfulness. I ask that you would help them, Lord God. Those that are sick and their loved ones and their families, touch them right now. Bring restoration and healing in the name of Jesus, Lord. Cover us with the blood, Lord God, and bless this house. And bless us as we leave this place, but never from your presence. Bring us back at the appointed time, and we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight.